Good afternoon, Patriots. It's December 23rd, 2020, and you are listening to Living with Liberty. I am Ryan, your host. Today we'll talk about the events leading up to and after the 1973 Chilean coup, led in part by Augusto Pinochet, as well as the quiet side of his legacy that very few seem to want to talk about. All next on Living with Liberty. I came across an interesting article in my MeWe group about a week ago. Shout out to my friend there who posted that article. It was an American Thinker article titled Rethinking Pinochet in Praise of Strength by Jay Shalin. It was a very intriguing article. Is all that you ever hear about uh, Augusto Pinochet is that he was a murderous tyrant Chilean dictator. After reading the article, it triggered a little trip down the rabbit hole to gain more understanding around what led up to the coup Pinochet led in 1973, or I should say as he was a part of leading in 1973. As I dug further into the history surrounding the coup, and Pinochet's reign, it became apparent that there's a reason that part of the history of this coup is seemingly buried, and it all has to do with his overthrowing of Marxist ideals and socialist government in Chile. Now, it's important to set up what was going on in Chile pre-coup. Preceding the 1973 coup, there were six major parties in Chile. Two were conservative parties that had eventually unified in the late 60s to be one national party, two centrist parties that were only centrist in the fact that they favored a gradual movement towards a collectivist society as opposed to a straight-out revolution. For all intents and purposes, they were socialists. Then you had two Marxist parties, the communists and the socialists, both of which were radical leftist parties, And within each, you had proponents of transformation within a constitutional framework and process, and some who were in favor of a violent revolution. Salvador Allende founded the Socialist Party and will be known as the President Pinochet overthrew in the 1973 coup. Now, before Allende ascended to the presidency, Eduardo Frei had started setting the stage for a move to the socialist society by nationalizing the copper industry and redistributing land. Frey taxed the rich, initiated price controls, relaxed literacy requirements for voting, and expanded public housing. Now, this probably all sounds very familiar. Tax the rich, our leaders say. Biden says straight out he will raise taxes. Relaxed literacy requirements. How much do we hear how horrible our kids' reading comprehension is in the United States? It never seems to get any better, no matter how much money we throw at our failing schools. It almost seems as if it's by design at this point, doesn't it? Expansion of public housing. Sounds an awful lot like the Affirmatively Furthering Fair Housing Act, doesn't it? That's the act that was designed to bring more low-income housing to the suburbs, uh, an Obama administration uh, abomination. Fry set the stage for Allende to come in and further the socialist agenda. Allende came in and did just that. He further nationalized industry. 
He used a combination of price controls and minimum wages to drive businesses to bankruptcy and then tried to nationalize them for underperformance. His government took over food distribution, aka farming, and overhauled all the schools to create a new socialist society with social justice as its aim. Now, this should all start to sound eerily familiar. Just look at the battles that our schools have faced this year. Teachers teaching BLM curriculum, encouraging students in this radical idea of social justice. Schools are critical to turning young minds to mush with socialist drivel. If you haven't had a chance to do so or so far, I encourage you to listen to episode six, where I talk about taking back the education of our kids. This is where it all starts. Predicting, predictably, all this nationalization of industry and farming led to disastrous results. Chile's nationalized farms didn't produce enough food, leading to Chile having to import food and in the process borrow huge sums of money to do so. As is often the case with nationalized business, investment in them dropped to next to nothing, stalling the economy and driving inflation to 353% in 1973. It did eventually reach a high of 505% in 1974. As seems to be the case with any leftist regime, violence was the norm. In their article, What Pinochet Did for Chile, Robert Packenham and William Ratliff noticed that lawlessness and violence escalated quickly with the extreme left, including many within Allende's own party. They were seizing properties and setting up independent zones in cities and the countryside. The leftist extremists did this despite Allende and the communists objecting to how far they they were going. Allende's regime saw considerable political violence with 35 political assassinations in his two and a half years in office. There was government suppression of radio and media. Allende and his communists coupled with the extremists, just destroyed Chile's economy, divided society, politicized the military and education systems, and completely obliterated Chile's constitutional, legal, political, and cultural traditions. Packenham and Ratliff note that many on the left in Chile had long believed that capitalism and democracy were incompatible. Liberty-loving Americans, history is playing out in our own backyard. What have we seen here in 2020 alone? Portland and Seattle, among other cities, in near-constant states of unrest, with autonomous zones being set up left and right. Big tech censorship, media blackouts, basically big tech and media silencing dissent in place of the government doing so. Politicization of the military. Tucker Carlson had a story on Monday night about how the military has gone woke. Bill de Blasio coming out in a video saying his aim is to redistribute wealth. Friends, they are not hiding it anymore. They've tried to take away Thanksgiving. They're trying to take away Christmas. For decades, Democrats in particular have continued to erode our institutions and cultural traditions. Government is spending massive amounts of money. It's only a matter of time before inflation goes through the roof here.
Friends, we are at our own early 1970s Chile moment. So now where does Augusto Pinochet come into the story? Pinochet was actually a friend of Salvador Allende's. Pinochet was the commander in uh, the military while Allende was president. And just prior to the coup, Allende promoted Pinochet to commander-in-chief of all of Chile's uh, armed forces in 1973, in August of 1973. Now, the human rights abuses under Pinochet are true. Uh, Nobody's denying that. And honestly, I find it quite abhorrent. But also, as several articles note, they're exaggerated in scope. He was a dictator, an authoritarian, no doubt about it. But there's a difference. He was an authoritarian, not a totalitarian. Now, we'll get into the differences of those in in just a minute here. His legacy in restoring Chile, Chile to economic prominence and actually restoring Chile's democracy is really what gets overlooked here, as does the support his coup had from not only the vast majority of the Chilean people, but from Eduardo Fry himself, the one who actually set the table for Allende's disastrous regime. Many Chileans, including Pinochet, could see the country was careening toward a civil war. It was at this point the military decided to step in, uh, September of 1973. The military junta, comprised of three bran- the three branches of the Chilean military, plus the national police, participated in the overthrow. Now, to characterize the coup as Pinochet being the power-hungry dictator riding in and overthrowing the government is a mischaracterization. The junta waited about a year trying to find a constitu- constitutional solution to their predicament. It was during this time Pinochet, as head of the most powerful branch of the military, the army, became the leader of this group and ultimately the president of Chile. The junta's initial acts were to rid the country of Marxist political parties. Again, no dispute here that in doing so, many human rights abuses did take place. And to keep it family friendly, I won't go into detail here on what they were, but I will link some articles in the description box for those interested. Now, this is the only part of Pinochet's reign that is ever really brought up. What isn't brought up, or taught for that matter, is how he restored the Chilean economy, how he restored democracy in Chile, how he relinquished power, and how the junta saved Chile uh, from either a nasty civil war, totalitarian communism, or possibly both outcomes. As I mentioned, Pinochet was an authoritarian, but not a totalitarian. The difference is totalitarianism penetrates all aspects of life, economic, social, religion, cultural, family, whereas authoritarianism does not penetrate society so deeply. Totalitarianism is run on ideologies, authoritarianism by mentality. Totalitarianism has high levels of regime manipulating the mass mobilization and political participation of the people and has strict control over the candidates, if there even are candidates. Authoritarian regimes have low levels of political participation and some control and manipulation of society, economy, family, religion, culture, and the press. 
Important to make this distinction because Pinochet is often painted as a totalitarian tyrant. Well, he was anything but that. Authoritarian, yes. Totalitarian, no. Pinochet brought in economists from a Catholic University in San, uh, Santiago who had studied in Milton Friedman's economics department at the University of Chicago. Important to note that a totalitarianist would not bring in outside advisors to help in any manner within the government. They certainly would not bring in economists from a university that had trained in a free society like the United States. Um, their ideologies are what would drive their policies. As to be expected after years of disastrous economic policy, it took a number of years to get Chile's inflation down to historical levels and to get the economy going again. Eventually, in the mid-1980s, Chile's economy finally started to prosper. It is now the most prosperous Latin American country, and inflation is just 2.56%. Pinochet returned Chile to free market economy while paving the way for its rise to the number one economy in Latin America with a reasonable inflation rate. About five years post-coup, Pinochet started to open Chile up politically. In 1978, a plebiscite or referendum was held. It was announced after that uh, plebiscite that there was 75% uh, of the electorate that had endorsed, endorsed Pinochet's rule. In 1981, a new constitution was written, under which Pinochet was to remain president for eight years, uh, which took him to 1989, uh, and at that time another plebiscite would be held to determine if he would hold another eight-year term. While Pinochet, as any dictator, would not allow any meaningful political opposition, he did abide by the constitution and allowed the plebiscite to be held and it was held earlier than was outlined in the Constitution. In October of 1988, at the plebiscite that uh, was constitutionally required, the result was a 55% no vote for continuation of Pinochet's rule. He remained in office until free elections were held and a new president installed in March of 1990. Pinochet peacefully transitioned power to that duly elected president. Pinochet did impose limits on domestic press, but he allowed foreign press to cover domestic Chilean events. Many international papers had offices set up in Santiago and were free to operate within the country. Pinochet's legacy lives on today. Packenham and Ratliff note that no post-1990 regime in Chile has gone anywhere near the previous two economic models of state capitalism or state socialism. Alejandro Foxley, a Chilean foreign minister in 2006, noted that Pinochet constitutional rules had somewhat ironically fostered a more democratic system as they forced major actors into compromise rather than confrontation, and by avoiding populism, increased economic governability. Now, there's also a dark side to the Augusto Pinochet legacy as well, those human rights abuses issues. Pinochet was brutal in his actions towards his political opponents. The official death toll is 3,065, 
with a little over 40,000 now recognized as uh, being held as political prisoners. Chile is recognizing these survivors with a lifetime pension. These numbers are much lower than what tends to be reported, but are still way too many in regards of impact on just, you know, human uh, rights and, you know, the families of those individuals that had to endure that persecution. I would say it definitely is a black eye on Pinochet's legacy, but not necessarily the only thing that should be talked about here. So what can we learn? Well, history is repeating itself in the United States. The events in Chile pre-coup are playing out here in 2020 in the United States. Out-of-control violence, cancel culture, out-of-control spending, extreme uh, politicization of institutions. We're hearing calls by some for a civil war. An apparent lack of many elected and appointed officials to stand up for rule of law and our constitution. Could we be heading for a coup of our own? Uh, I don't know. Possibly. You At this point, you never know with these types of situations uh, where I think we're heading down a dangerous path if if none of our, our elected officials are willing to stand up and uh, for our constitution and rule by our constitution. Uh, who know, You know, I do think that we're not heading towards a civil war. At least I hope not. Uh, I think that would be disastrous. Uh, you know, and the, the Chilean military leaders in 1973 re- uh, recognized this fact as as they undertook a coup of their own. Uh, you know, I don't think we get to that point. But again, at this point, who knows? Uh, what I do know is we are a freer society, uh, though largely at this point, uh, you know, that could be debatable, I guess, with everything that's going on. But I still think we're freer now than, you know, late 1960s or early 1970s Chile was. So what we should be doing is out organizing, protesting, calling our officials, making our voices heard, making it understood that we expect our officials to uphold our rule of law and constitution. We should be be identifying new candidates to run against establishment candidates. We should be pushing term limits for elected officials of all levels, working to get rid of the dirty money in politics, the, you know, the lobbyists, the corporate interests, the, all the money now with the, this COVID bill that we're sending overseas for nonsense. We should be getting involved in some way. We have power here. There are many more of us than there are elected officials. We need to push them hard to put us first to abide by our constitution and rule of law. Now, I'll tie uh, this episode up with a line from Shalin's article in The American Thinker, uh, the one I referenced before, Rethinking Pinochet. He writes, the Chilean coup of 1973 offers hard lessons that many will not accept because these lessons do not appear to superficial norms of fairness and tolerance. For one, electoral politics do not always equate to human flourishing, but can instead bring repression. I ask you just to think about that line for just a second and translate it to what's going on today. Just think about what Biden has said as he's the incoming president at this point of how our darkest days are ahead with the virus and and this mask 100-day mask mandate he wants to put in place it's it's all about making us bend the knee voting for that repression that's exactly what Shalen is talking about here 
Shailen continues on. Uh, he says, a nation must deal harshly with those who would deny liberty to the rest. Friends, let's be honest. Playtime with the left is over. Playtime with the Democrats is over. Honestly, playtime with the Republicans is over. We need to stop hoping and start acting. We must be willing to deal harshly with those attempting to steal our liberty, whether they be Republican or Democrat. If we don't, we are setting ourselves up for failure as a nation. Friends, that's my show for today. If you're listening on a platform that allows reviews, if you'd be so kind to go ahead and leave me a positive review. Also, if you would subscribe, it helps us move up the charts and helps others find the truth. I hope all of you have a wonderful holiday season, a Merry Christmas, and a Happy New Year. Enjoy the time with family and friends. Until next time. I'm grateful you've chosen to spend some time with me. I would truly appreciate it if you would subscribe to and share my podcast with friends and family. Please email me feedback. My address is livingwithliberty at usa.com. Follow and ring my bell for updates at my social media home on Parlor. My handle is at livingwithliberty. Liberty isn't a given. We must continue to fight and protect it. Working together, we will do exactly that. Until next time.